0: Um, before we get started today, uh, I want to read you an excerpt from uh, a female leader's words in the vineyard. And I don't do this as any sort of political commentary and all that kind of stuff, but I do it to honor uh, some of the women in our crowd who have been through some very difficult things. Um, and I know that that churns up a lot uh, in, in people. So uh, she writes this, I am a survivor of both rape and intimate Partner abuse, oh, sorry. Um, It took me several years to acknowledge the trauma of my past, and it was the vineyard which first provided that safe space. Until that point, I, much like others, did not report. I feared not being believed, I feared ruining somebody's life, I was ruled by the shame I felt, and truly believed the assault was a result of something sinful in me. It was not until I encountered the vineyard that I began to hear a different message. The topic of rape and sexual assault were not dismissed, but rather they were a, there was a space for conversation, and safe conversation and support. It was in a vineyard small group where someone first told me that what had happened to me wasn't my fault. And it was the first place where I heard a message of hope and restoration. I, sorry. Uh, I learned how to bring my grief, shame, and trauma to the Lord and invite the Holy Spirit to heal me. I entered into true lament over what had happened and I had a community that walked alongside me. And appropriately so, it was that same group where I first told my story publicly, a transformational moment where the power of confession and profession was made real. God used the vineyard as a site for my healing and I could not be more grateful. So, you know, I read that to you because I want... Our hope to be is that six eight would be a place a safe place for survivors in our crowd, just like this woman's own church w- was for her. Um, as pastor, I've, I've I um, you got to know something about me. I, like when I watch movies, it's a rape scene I can't watch. That's like the one thing. Maddie and I were watching uh, Les Misérables the other night, and I just couldn't watch the one scene with Fontaine. I just had to walk out of the room. Uh, This stuff bothers me quite a bit. Um, uh, But as pastor, I've been, uh, I've had the honor to hear some of your stories, and I've prayed already with uh, many of you have been abused verbally or physically or sexually. And although these stories might seem sort of like distant to some of you, I think they are not to others, right? And we are intimately connected with some people in our own crowd who are reeling due to the words and the stories that they hear out there and they are forced as they do so to relive their own past personal trauma as a result it's very real for people so I would like us to be a place where anyone would feel safe and uh, they could bring their grief and their shame and their trauma to the Lord and have the Holy Spirit heal them uh, in a safe community our greatest impact on the world out there is what we do in community with each other in here Right? how we treat each other, how we love and minister to one another. And I really want that to be uh, a true thing. So sh- we should always be prayerful about how we can do that better. Uh, in light of all that, one of our own 68 is telling her own story uh, of this, this kind of uh, trauma in her life through the avenue of theater very soon. Um, you can talk to Maranatha directly. She's sitting in here today. I've got permission to say, say her name and direct you to this. Um, you can email me for the details. I, uh, and, but this is one way that she's using her story to bring healing and awareness and witness of Christ to other people within her sphere of influence. Uh, we also have Sarah Bloom, who has been through trauma like this, and she is totally open to anybody else who has experienced anything like that to talk to her as well. So um, October 29th at 6 p.m., uh, at her house, unless she gets too many people <laughs> and then she's got to move it. Uh, but you can email me and I can get you in touch with her. So, amen. Um, let me pray before we get started. Father, we thank you uh, that, man, like uh, all that is heavy, but there is freedom. Uh, the blood of Christ washes away shame, brings healing. Brings freedom, brings forgiveness, um, gives us new eyes to see the world with, new hearts to feel the world with, new brains to think through the world with. And so we ask, Father God, that you would teach us this morning and continually, as you already are doing, just continually build us up as a church, as a loving, caring, uh, very deep, but also a very fun community, Father. We want to be reflective of you in, in all the, way, the ways that we can. So we ask that you would convict us where we need to be convicted. You would encourage us where we need to be encouraged. And that you would just walk through this life with us. Uh, your presence is the most important thing that we need in our lives. And so we ask for more of that. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Last week, we looked at our... If you don't know, we're in 6-8 six, eight, six, eight at 6-8. Is that what we're calling it? By the way, I screwed up the slides. They're usually longer. Sorry. Anyway, um, but la- we're in the 6-8 at 6-8. Uh, so our vision and values series. We do it every number of years just to make sure we're staying sharp. Uh, but last week, we looked at our purpose statement, which was in short form to follow Jesus, right? And we said that Micah 6-8... Our signature verse for this church was a response to the Israelites not following God, right? And it says this, he, he has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, in other words, to act justly, to love kindness or, or to lo- love mercy, it can be translated, and to walk humbly with your God. There shouldn't be a question mark at the end of God there, sorry. <laughs> like, do you want to do that? No. Um, anyway, <laughs> um, But uh, we said goodness here is made up of the very practical and moral imperatives of acting justly and loving mercy and walking humbly with God. And today we want to look at our vision statement, which says to live as Jesus did in word and deed, awakening others in their own spiritual journey with him. And the shortened version of that is just plainly to live as Jesus did. And following Jesus and living as Jesus did are two very similar thoughts. In other words, they're a the continuation of the same thought. Um, so I thought it would be good to look at how Jesus lived and starting in Philippians chapter two, verses through eight. It says this, in your relationships with one another, in other words, how you treat each other, how you live life out together, right? Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in an appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. My friend, Keith, um, was an assistant coach for his daughter's uh, soccer team, and Keith didn't really know how to coach soccer. <laughs> so, he, uh, so, when he first showed up to the soccer practices, the head coach didn't show up, and Keith was a little nervous. So, he called his wife, and he asked her if she would send down from, because she teaches at Denver University, ESL stuff, she... So she teaches international students. He said, could you send down your Saudi Arabian university students to help teach, teach soccer to these girls because they love soccer and they, very, they know it inside and out. So eight young single Saudi men, Muslim men, drove out <laughs> to the suburbs and they showed up early and they ran drills this whole season with these girls and they were terrific coaches. Now that first day when, when the Christian mother, they were pretty much all women from his church, Keith's church, came to pick up their daughters, their precious daughters. They pulled Keith off to the side and they said, who are these guys? And Keith said, they are single Muslim Saudi men. And uh, (laughs) the mother's all like, right? And they they had a barrage of questions right away. Like, would they steal their daughters and take them back to Saudi Arabia? Would they bomb the country? Aren't they all terrorists? And things like that. God is bringing, uh, we'll get back to that, right? Uh, But God is bringing the world full circle uh, from Genesis to Revelation. Full circle in creation, right? In the beginning, we know and we see through those stories that Adam and Eve lived in harmony with God and the world around them and with each other, right? And everything they were in the Garden of Eden, intellectually and emotionally and behaviorally and spiritually, came underneath God's reign. Literally and metaphorically, they lived naked before Him and before each other. They were ashamed of nothing. They lived in a safe space. And He gave them purpose, right? Purpose in stewarding creation while reflecting His character in intimate relationship with Him and also with each other. Yet, we know the story, sin entered the world and image and harmony and that reflection was broken. That image was broken. And now there's fragmentation and there's war and there's racism, not to be all negative but it's true. There's murder and there, there is rape and there's exploitation and there's poverty and things like that. You know, many of you uh, have come to me lately expressing how upset you are just watching the news. How upsetting it is. I mean, I think almost every conversation I've had people are feeling that. And this is why. Yet, Hope comes as Jesus comes into the world, right? And Jesus brings us full circle back underneath God's reign as we live out the good works uh, that he prepared in advance for us to do. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And so we learn to follow Christ not in the isolation of a homogeneous church life. We, we actually push outward. We push outward embracing all peoples, anyone out there living as, and as we do so, we're reflecting Jesus to them in spirit and truth. Ephesians 5 urges us to be imitators of God, right? As beloved children and walk in love. A Christ, uh, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. It sounds very Micah eight ish 1 John chapter 2, but if anyone obeys his word, Love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did, which is a tall order, and there's a lot of grace for that because we make a lot of mistakes, right? Researcher researcher George Barna uh, says, focusing on Jesus' exhortation that his followers must love both God and people with all of their heart and mind and soul and strength, transformed individuals are those who have aligned their intellect, their emotions, behavior, and spirit with the call and the ways of God. In other words, genuine Christ-driven transformation is four-dimensional. People of spirit and truth, right? John chapter 4, verse 24. That's what we want to be, people walking out spirit and truth in this world. So the question is, were those Christian mothers uh, reflecting God in their attitude towards those young Saudi Muslim men. Were they loving those men four-dimensionally, right? Well, the answer is obviously no. They were reacting out of fear. They were reacting out of this sense of self-preservation. And to live as Jesus did in word and deed takes an overturning of our worldview, a flip-flop, if you will. Seeing people as Jesus sees them and acting accordingly, even when it becomes risky for us. Philippians 2 overturns the self-preservation of our humanistic worldview. It really does. It stands our world on, the head, on, on its head. It, it upsets everything about us in a joyously convicting way. So we live first and... I'm sorry, I'm having some trouble with my glasses here. We live first and foremost as a citizen of heaven, as a citizen of the kingdom of God, but also we are citizens of America, a kingdom of the world with all of its rules, all of its regulations, all of its expectations of how to get ahead, how to prove yourself, how to survive, which brings tension to our own spiritual journey, our own walk. It really does. It's hard sometimes. It's hard to know how to be a Christian. The Philippians, just like us, lived in this tension as citizens of God's kingdom, as God's people under the kingdom reign of God, but also under the Roman Empire. They had to give Caesar what is Caesar's, right? And as a result, Philippians 2, written to them in that context, is a word picture of Jesus as their king. A model to reflect, so to speak, different than any other worldly king out there, different than Caesar. You know, years ago, I remember watching Saddam Hussein go from riches to rags, just watching it on the news all the time, just constant barrage of words on, on, uh, from the radio about it. He was a worldly king. He was feared. He, you know, he amassed power. He wiped out anybody in, in front of him. He, but eventually he was toppled from his throne. Harto, while Kim and I were in Indonesia, uh, he imprisoned and he murdered many. But while we were there, our first year there, he was overthrown from his 32-year reign. It was a crazy time for us. Two kings who went unwillingly from riches to rags, disgraced. Patsuharto had to live in this house with tanks guarding his street. He couldn't leave his house forever anymore. The kingdom of God is opposite of that, right? It's not a kingdom of the sword. It's not about amassing wealth. It's not about grasping at power. It's not about subjugation or control or fear or manipulation or guarding yourself or guarding your rights. It is about, though, it is about compassion and humility and gentility and care and justice and mercy and self, uh, sacrificial Calvary-like love. Living in scriptural truth, it is about bringing freedom from sin instead of bondage to sin. A contrast of two kingdoms, right? How does somebody live under God's kingdom reign while immersed in a worldly kingdom? How do we do this? And so remembering Philippians 2, let's look at some other passages. Matthew chapter twenty. Uh, verses 25 through 28. Jesus called them together and said, He knows that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. So over, right? Authority and power. Right? So the, the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. He uses that twice there, right? Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be your slave just as the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many that overturns your world right so disciples arguing you know who's going to be first in the kingdom of heaven and jesus says that's not how i do kingdom that's not how my kingdom operates right He came to serve, not to be served. He came to ransom his life for many, give up his own life. And as in Philippians, we are called to emulate emulate him in that attitude and in that kind of a service in the world. And he contrasts for us this idea with the world and its rulers who seek to wield power over people, but in Christ we practice power under. We lift people up. Amen. Amen good to say amen when the pastor's preaching it makes him feel like he's connecting <laughs> as we see this played out <laughs> uh as we see this played out played out in matthew 26 uh 50 through 53 it says jesus replied friend do what you came for and this is when he's being arrested in the gar- garden of gethsemane right and the men stepped forward, and they seized Jesus, and they arrested him. And with that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, whoosh, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest on the uh, uh, priest cutting off his ear. Ow, right? Put your sword back in its place. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. There's some wisdom right there, baby, Right? For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think that I cannot call on my father and he will once put, you know, at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Swords away. That's not how I do kingdom. Jesus had all the power in the universe that he did not wield. He let it happen. Yeah, wow. That's wow right there, right? John 18, Pilate then went back inside the palace. Jesus is in shackles, right? Summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea? Others talk to you about me. Am I a Jew? Right? What do I care? That's what he's saying, right? Am I a Jew? What do I care? It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it that you have done? Like what? what in the, why are they so upset? said my kingdom is not of this world if it were my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the jews but now my kingdom is from another place pilate concerned of a challenge to his own little worldly kingdom saw no threat in jesus saw no threat in jesus it wasn't a big political thing. Jesus wasn't trying to overtake the government, anything like that. He saw no threat in them. So the, let's look at the essential difference between the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God. Firstly, the kingdom of the world is all about coercion and force. You've, some of you have heard me say this over and over again. It's just got to get into our heads. It's, it's all about behavioral mod, modification by, by law or threat of punishment. It is all about power over people. The kingdom of the world only has power to institute laws to control behavior. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? But we've got to understand the heart doesn't factor into that at all. If you don't steal from me simply because you'd go to jail for stealing from me, then the the kingdom of the world has done its job well. But it can't cause you to become the kind of person that would never steal from me right? It has no power to change my heart. If, if It can't make you love its king. It can only make you fear its king. Hillary Clinton knew this when she was approached by a supporter. In an interview or, or in a news story, she was approached by a supporter and he said, we have to laws to change hearts and she turned around and she almost bit into him and she said you know what that's where you're wrong laws will never change hearts they will only inhibit behavior they will only inhibit behavior and behavior does need to be restrained doesn't it it really does that's why we have governments that's why we have police officers like Brian where are you Brian Brian somewhere he was playing banjo I think we should have banjo every Sunday by the way that's why but that's why we have governments. That's why we have Brian, right? Heart, you know, but we got to realize that hearts still remain unaffected. Prison never changes a person internally. We know that. You don't come out of prison saying, "Oh, my heart is so warmed and I just want to love all of you." You don't do that. You actually become a better criminal. It's like university for criminals, right? We all know this. The kingdom of God on the other hand, Is Christ-like servant love as seen in Philippians chapter 2. It is power under people. It is characterized by heart transformation, by servanthood, by humility, by sacrifice, by power of the Holy Spirit, who is able to transform hearts by grace through faith in Jesus. Something changes in me. You know, the early church grew like wildfire in the Roman Empire through suffering Christ-like love for the first four centuries. They were forced to serve from a position of power under. And then Constantine, the Roman emperor, uh, converts. And as a result, in 313 AD, Christianity is legalized under the Edict of Milan. And then Christians got their first taste of political power over other people. And they thought, well, maybe all this suffering was provisional. Now we have Constantine on our side. Now we've got some power. Now we can enforce Christianity because it only makes logical sense. We can legalize our morality because it makes sense. It's it's good and it's logical and it's right for people. In 381 A.D., Christianity is declared the official religion of the Roman Empire. And we have full power now. And one year later, the first infidel non-believer is killed because he won't become a Christian. How quickly we digress, right? So is forcing people to believe like you, Christ-like love, is it just, is it merciful, is it humble? No. Is worldly power over people the way to advance the message of Jesus? Absolutely not. Some say we've got to bring America back To God, sneer quotes, back to God by the way inferring that it had once practiced the power under you know love indicative of Jesus we may have some Christian stuff in our country but did we really ever truly as a country practice the power under love that is indicative of Jesus life was that when 6 million blacks were brought over, 3 million died on the trip And then the rest were enslaved for hundreds of years? Was that when 20 million Native Americans were murdered and the remaining members of the Cherokee, Muscogee, Seminole, Chickasaw, and Choctaw nations were forced uh, off their land, their land was taken away, and they were forced to walk the Trail of Tears in 1831, on which thousands of them died. Did you realize, do you realize that it was three years into my birthday on June 20th, 1995 that the Southern Baptist Convention denounced slavery, finally denounced slavery, the issue that they were birthed upon in 1845 because they wanted to have slaves and they wanted to say Christians could have slaves, so they they were started for that very reason. And it wasn't until 1995 until they denounced that. So were these and other such acts Christian, in Christian history, kingdom of God or kingdom of the world acts? The kingdom of the world acts for sure. Just because something is done in the name of Jesus doesn't mean that it's reflective of Jesus. We've got to be fair with our history. Let me say that twice. Just because something is done in the name of Jesus doesn't mean it's reflective of Jesus. And secondly, we also have to remember that we cannot expect something of a worldly kingdom which it cannot deliver by its own nature. God directs us, the people of God, back to the cross constantly. Constantly. Individually and corporately, by the way. Because something is done You know, in us, it's developing our character, it's witness, it's developing our witness as a result, as we constantly get crucified. How we reflect or react to the world reflects Jesus or not. Even if I'm using his name, I might not be reflecting him. We're never called to seek power over people. It's important we become right now, in this time in history especially, concerned more about living as Jesus did in word and deed before our neighbors, those people with whom we have direct influence. That is where the power is. Serving them in love. When we feel our rights encroached upon, It's a spiritually healthy practice to avoid the temptation to pick up the sword and wield it back again, whether that be the sword of the pen or Facebook or the voice or whatever it is. Rather, we want to be Jesus in word and deed, serving in love as we live in this tension of two opposing kingdoms. It's a hard life. And we're going to make mistakes. There's grace for that. Wesley said orthodoxy or right opinion that's what orthodoxy is right belief or right opinion so orthodoxy right opinion is at best a very slender part of religion though right tempers or right attitudes cannot subsist without right opinions so you can't have a right uh, or right temper right attitude cannot subsist without right opinions so you have to have right thinking in your head to have a right attitude right Yet, right opinions may subsist without right tempers. So, you can have right thinking and not have a heart at all. You can be all right up here and a total jerk. <laughs> That's what he's saying. There may be a right opinion of God without either love or one right temper towards him. Satan's proof of this. Satan's probably the best theologian out there. Very true. We want to worship in spirit and truth, serving the world in Christ-like love. Someone might feel that we have to defend our rights. And Jesus says, whoa, be careful. Be careful with that. Be careful with that. He guarded the purity of his kingdom. He never mixed the two together. He laying down his rights, loving people in word and deed constantly. He was out and about. He was politically unconcerned. I would argue that to my death. Although his life does inform our politics or it affects our politics. His concern was for his kingdom, his people, whether or not they were reflecting God to others or not. That's what his concern was about. He says, be careful, since it's very easy to mix the two together, fighting for causes in Jesus' name, rather than loving people in Jesus' name. We expect, we can expect the church to be about godly justice and godly mercy and godly humility. We can't expect that. But we can't expect a worldly kingdom to be what it cannot actually be. It can have moments of it, glimpses of it. But it can't intrinsically be that. God's kingdom come now. God's kingdom reign now. In the hearts of people. The church. The safe place. But the world's kingdom will always, always be somewhat unsafe. Now, let me stop there and say, when the church, the local church, gives up or mixes the two kingdoms, and becomes something other than it should be it is even more unsafe than the world it really is that's why it's so tragic but when we feel unsafe when we feel like the ground is not solid beneath us there's something going on in us that needs to be addressed we have to remember that faith replaces fear in Jesus' promises. We have nothing to be afraid about. Matthew 10, 28. Don't fear them that can kill the body. Follow the Lord. Therefore, we take caution not to marry the kingdom of God with that of the world since coercion and force are never Jesus' way nor do they bring, ever bring about heart transformation. Never. Christians don't enjoy the luxury of vilifying others or refusing to cross lines to show the love of Christ to anybody. In in seeking power over people, instead of serving out of power under people, we alienate people from Jesus. And that's exactly what we do not want to do. So we do our best Living in the tension within which we live, right? By loving our neighbor as best we possibly can with all the mistakes that we make. Emulating Jesus in humility. Serving. Caring less about being right in all the arguments. And more about being forgiven. More about crucifying our own pride. And there's some good questions to ask yourself as you live in this tension of two different kingdoms. First of all, ask yourself the question, what do I spend most of my time thinking about? What do I spend most of my time thinking about? Am I filled with fear or am I filled with faith? Am I filled with hope or not? Am I just angry or am I loving? (laughs) Those are hard questions for you, right? For me, they are. What if God's love was contingent on me getting this all right? What if, what if God's, God's love was contingent on His emotions towards me? How He felt towards me at any given time? What decisions I make and all that kind of stuff? What if God withdrew His love from me whenever He was unhappy with the, what, what I was doing in my life? That would be devastating. But He promises not to. Have you ever felt somebody doesn't deserve your love and you withhold it? If love's the most powerful force in the world, then withholding love is the most destructive. Is the most destructive. It kills souls, doesn't it? Our power... Does not come from grasping at rights or winning arguments or getting ahead or being first or positions of authority or law or manipulation or coercion or being louder, being stronger, better at arguing, being served or withholding love from somebody. That's not where our power comes from. Our power comes from our unique king. The transforming power of the Holy Spirit worked out in loving action, informed by truth. Always informed by truth. And that's goodness. That's true goodness as seen in Micah 6.8. Paul says in Galatians 5.6, The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Having faith in Jesus, in Jesus alone. We are not afforded power to condemn, but to love. No matter how often we screw this up, we go back to our model. God, in the likeness of man, not grasping at his rights, but laying them down. Kierkegaard, the Danish philosopher, illustrates Philippians 2 with a, with a story of a prince looking for a queen. And it says, One day, while the prince was running an errand in the local village for his father, he passed through a poor section of the city. And as he was passing through, he happened to see a beautiful young maiden, as us guys tend to do, right? We look for these things. She was poor and lower class, but she was absolutely beautiful. And after passing through the village several times, because that's also what we do, we turn the car around and drive back, right? He found he was falling in love with her. We, We also do that. Without even talking to you, we're already in love with you, by the way. What power you have over us, right? But he had a problem. How would he go about winning her hand in marriage? He could simply order her to marry him. He was the prince. But he wasn't just seeking a queen. He was seeking a true partner. If he coerced her to love him, he would never know if she loved him for who he, whom he was. Or just because of the splendor of his wealth. So the prince came up with another solution. He took off his kingly robe and he put on the garb of a peasant and he moved into the village and he began to live among the people and he shared their interests and shared their concerns and he talked their language and this was no mere disguise. It became his identity. And over time he was able to see the young girl and it wasn't in an instant, but in time the young woman grew to love the prince. She loved him. And that is the kingdom of God. Not grasping at what's rightfully yours, what you can do. Laying aside your pride. Serving others with humble, Christ-like, sacrificial love. Acting justly, loving mercy, walking humbly. See, real power lies in nothing but in following our true king who went willingly from ra- or riches to rags and then back to riches again through the way of the cross. Through death. Through sacrifice. So those Saudi students. Spent the whole semester. With no pay. Running around Colorado. Using their own gas. Training and encouraging these girls. And by the end of the season though. Those. They're still regarded them as terrorists. So Keith. Keith being the smart man that he is, because I only have friends that are very smart people, by the way. Um, Keith convinced the reluctant mothers to bring their precious daughters over to break the fast of Ramadan with these men. And when they walked into the room, these mothers witnessed eight young Saudi men hovering over a boiling pot in the kitchen, and one was on the phone uh, with his sister in California saying, okay, it's boiling, what do I do now? You know, he doesn't know how to cook a thing, right? And mom hearts melted. And in the end, they thought, these mothers thought, well, maybe all the other Saudis in America are terrorists, but these, these are good boys. These are good boys. And then they began to love them. And relationship was started. When they were no longer viewed as the enemy, the door was opened for women, to, these women to love them in word and deed. It takes a lot to break down walls and barriers and more than knowledge to live the Christian life. It takes obedience to Jesus. It takes power of the Spirit. It takes living in truth. It takes risk. And that's why our vision statement says to live as Jesus did in word and deed, awakening others to their own spiritual journey with him. We don't want to view others as the enemy but as fellow human beings whom God loves. And it opens the door for relationship through simple acts of kindness, simple acts of love, being like Jesus, earning us the voice of witness. You've got to earn that. Ten years. And the business owners are saying, well, you're still here. I will listen to you now. Right? Well, thank you. It's a lot of work. I'm glad you finally see it. <laughs> right? God is bringing us full circle to reflect Him. When we can walk in humility before Him, He leads us into a life with others where we can learn something of God and everyone's spiritual journey is awakened. 6-8 can only provide teaching and training and encouragement and opportunity. We can't make you love God and love people. I can't do that. I don't have that power in me to do that. Right opinion can exist without right temper. You could come here every Sunday and couldn't you could not give a crap about any of this. You have to partner with God in your own spiritual formation, allowing the Holy Spirit to influence you and inject the word of God into your intellect, your emotion, your behavior, and your spirit. Because we need to be witnesses of Jesus, not using his name angrily to further opinions or drive wedges or reinforce fear. True loving evangelism of others by Christians walking in spirit and truth is the answer to all of our ills in this country and in life and in the world, given that truly transformed people in Jesus value life and value others. Truly transformed people in Jesus, let me say that twice, value life and value others. They don't devalue people. They don't separate and attack and rape and subjugate and kill, or call people derogatory names, or hold people back from their from anything due to their ethnicity. They don't do that. They exhibit the fruits of the spirit, as seen in Galatians chapter five. They act in love and joy and peace and forbearance and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Why? Because against such things there is no law. There is no law. They act justly, they love mercy, they walk humbly with God, they follow Jesus, and they live as Jesus did. Because first John 2, 6 said, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Hard stuff. So you need me to pray for you right now. <laughs> Father, we thank you so much that you are absolutely counterintuitive to everything that we see out there. You are absolutely different than the the kingdoms of the world, the kings of the world, the power brokers of the world, and all of that stuff. But then again, you love them all. You love everybody. We pray for just a joyous conviction in our hearts to walk with you strongly, walk with you well, to guard our tongues, to say things well, to, to love people strongly, to, to witness in word and deed to people, to open our mouth and take the risk, to, to step across the lines and not vilify and care for people and walk with them and just bring you into the moment. We pray for your presence upon us and upon our church and upon our community i feel that you are moving in this community and we ask that we would be a grand part of that we would have the honor of building your kingdom reign in the hearts of people all around us amen